0: Listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. One of the main things that meditation is designed to do is throw all that catches us. In our face. In other words, what we do when we sit in meditation is just, I mean, if, if we're doing it right, um, we're sitting still, we're being quiet, and we're relaxing. Truly relaxing. We're open. That might be another way of putting it. We're being open. Those three things. We're being still, right? Being still. We're being quiet. And we're relaxing. When that happens, everything that is moving, everything that is noisy, and everything that is tense gets exposed. And most of us live lives that are filled with uh, noise, busyness, and um, tension. <laughs> in fact, that may be why you're here. Uh, certainly it's why I'm here. So the things that catch us are the things in our lives that uh, sometimes we refer to it as being like hooked. Something hooks you. And it varies from person to person. One of the things when I first started my practice that really hooked me, it really grabbed me, was how I couldn't stand all the stillness, the quietude, um, that whole idea of relaxing. I could, you know, I could get into that, but the whole still and quiet, boy, that that was really difficult for me, as kind of a, a jitterbuggy type of personality, and so forth. And walking into a zendo, much like we do here, where you've got a, you know, a room full of people who are all quiet. And boy, I just wanted to start, like you know, tickling somebody or something. I wanted something to happen because it, it, the the quietude was so unco- it was so hard for me. It was it made me very uncomfortable. I got I got hooked by it. It grabbed me, and so I resisted the quietude, and uh, all the way up until I would say three weeks or so into a very intense practice period where I actually was, you know, officially a monk and so forth. Uh, (laughs) All the way up until the third week, I was always trying to crack up my fellow monks as a way of maintaining control, as a way of fending off the stuff that was hooking me, as a way of boxing, essentially. Uh, I had learned over a lifetime with all the, you know, all the... I mean, we could refer to it in Buddhist terms as karma. All my ancient, twisted karma that I had accumulated over this entire lifetime, it was all of I had learned to manage it by being witty, by being sharp, by being funny or whatever you want to call it, by doing great impersonations of the uh, abbot, you know, the Zen master, stuff like that. Suddenly that was, man, I had a niche and I didn't have to face what was real as long as I could stay in that in that act as long as it that it helped me stay busy if that makes sense it helped me not stay still it helped me remain slightly tense so if you can really check in with your body you can do this right now you can actually do it anytime and I highly recommend that you do it all the time but right now if you just check in with your body how's your body feeling How are you feeling? Is there tension? If so, where? If not, great. Is there stillness anywhere? Can you feel stillness? Is the mind chattering? Is there quiet? and being able to find stillness within the movement to be able to find quietude within the noise to be able to find relaxation underneath all of the tension is really where we end up it kind of takes care of itself if we practice this we practice it with uh you know a sincere heart and pr- we're we're purposeful in our efforts i mean we're not over the top like that's, that's one way of really screwing it up if you get too hardcore about it, you know, you know that you become kind of like a, a militant practitioner. That, that doesn't get you very far. That's just ego sneaking in the back door. That's non-quietude, non-stillness and tension sneaking in the back door and trying to manage awakening, and that never works. So what we're going to practice tonight is essentially looking at what's going on for real, for real. What's going on? Are you feeling tense? Are you feeling uncomfortable? Great. That's actually really good stuff to practice with. It's easier to practice with that than it is to practice with I'm feeling totally open, still, and relaxed. That sometimes can be short-lived and we we lose it. Whatever state you're in, however, whatever state you're in is the perfect state to be in for this practice. So if, No matter where you are in that gamut, you know, total bliss, you know, uh, abject pain or anywhere in between, be there, be there with it and look at it very carefully, look at it very carefully, witness the experience to its core. One of the things, one of the gifts that physical pain, I'm convinced this is why they actually train us to sit in these silly positions is that it brings up uh, a certain physical bondage. It straightens, you can't help but have kind of a straight spine when you do it, but what it does is it puts a degree of discomfort in your sitting, which puts you immediately into your body. If any of you have ever practiced or if you've ever been sitting in meditation and you've had a lot of, you know, physical discomfort, have you ever noticed that in that, Time, your mind tends to quiet down a little bit. The thoughts, the extraneous thoughts, tend to all you're really concerned about is what's happening right now in the body. And that actually is kind of a you know, it's the yellow brick road, right, to Oz, if you can follow that. You know, where is that body? Where is my body right now? What am I feeling right now? It's very, very powerful. That's a powerful practice. If your mind is just going from, you know, we call it monkey mind, swinging from thought to thought to thought to thought. If it's doing that, great. Watch the monkey. Watch it go from thought to thought. to. Watch how something always is dominant, some type of thought is dominant, and then something, it gives way to something else. A really cool thing, if that's going on, do as best you can. Pay attention to your breath. Inhale. Exhale. The breath is always going on, no matter what your mind is doing, no matter what your body is doing, the breath is always going on. Just come back to it very gently, kind of come back to it, Oh, no. inhale, exhale, and then something else kind of catches you, hooks you, takes you away, maybe it's a thought, maybe it's a physical sensation, whatever, watch it, and then come back gently to the breath, and we'll do that for 30 or so minutes. So one of the things about being a human being is we have all this material genetic and otherwise that helps us attach. We attach to our spouses, our kids, our grandkids, our minds, uh, any number of things. We hold on for dear life. Ours or another's. And this practice, as we've kind of discussed, is really about letting go of all of it. So if you're going to distill the essence of of Buddhist teachings, of uh, what the Sufi mystical tradition out of uh, Islam talks about, what contemplative Christianity talks about, What Kabbalah talks about. Every single one of these traditions, the traditions where uh, walking as an enlightened being is in some capacity uh, in the mix, every one of them, every one of them discusses letting go, letting go, letting go of our attachments. And it's probably no surprise to any of you that the way we do this is by continually practicing sitting still, being quiet, and relaxing. This is letting go. Whenever we are being still, that's letting go. We're not caught by anything. We're just still. Whenever we're quiet... We're not caught by anything. We're just being. Whenever we're totally relaxed, we're not caught by this or that. Neither this nor that pulls us in any particular direction. We're just here. Now. And so, most of us have this Little contraption, this little mechanism inside of us that feels separate, and we call it one of two things in this in this work that uh, that I talk about, and you can there are, I'm sure other great names for it, but I like calling it mind. And if we didn't want to use the word mind, we could use the word ego, okay, or the I, the I feels separate from the you. It feels included with the we, but it still feels kind of separate. It feels like it has uh, what we might call agency, or um, it's solitary. It's atomized. All these great words we can use and just let those go too. (laughs) But essentially what we're doing here what we're doing is we're looking very very carefully we're looking very very carefully at at our experience that shows up as separate and also connected that in us which feels separate feels deeply caught feels it attaches okay And the way out of that trap, because that actually is what generates suffering and pain in us as human beings, it's the fact that we know we will not be able to have any of these things that we've talked about. None of them will be with us forever. We'll have to let go of them at some point in time. Everything. Everything is temporary. And that in us which feels separate freaks out at that. And it'll immediately, usually, immediately misinterpret the teaching and say, okay, well, letting go means that I have to do away with. No. That is a fundamental misunderstanding of the teaching. None of you, none of us, has to do away with anything. However, it can be very helpful if we study the relationship we have to those things that we're weak for. Study the relationship with those things that we're weak for. When you study that relationship for those things that you are weak for, you will automatically engage in this path of what we might call... uh, Purification. I really don't like using that word, uh, but I'm gonna use it anyway. It really is kind of a process. This process, the sitting still, this being quiet, this remaining relaxed, really, really is like this, it's a distillation process. It's like we're we're if you ever like for those of you that are cooks. And you, you, throw the, you throw the wine in and you just keep simmering it down, you cook it down, you reduce it and you get this just beautiful uh, uh, essence, a reduction is what we call it. Or if you are, um, we, were doing this, we were doing this the other day, we were clarifying butter which is a total, in my view, a pain in the tuchus, but it's a, it, metaphorically, it's really, really what meditation is. Because what you're essentially doing is scraping off that stuff that you don't really need. Okay? But before you scrape anything off, before you can let it go, you have to identify it. You have to be able to see it. That's what being still allows us to do. It allows us to see the stuff that we don't need. I can recall I was in Thailand with my wife and we were at this forest monastery and we were doing, a, you know, this this, uh, this meditation session that was lasting days and days and days and days. And they had us in uh, two separate compounds. The, the men were on one side of the monastery and the women were on the other side of the monastery. And I remember when I was showed to my particular... Uh, uh, room, if you want to call it that, it was actually a cell with a cement slab for a bed and a wooden um, block for a pillow. And I'm like, "All right, this is uh, <laughs> this is this is gonna rock," um, you know. Oh boy, what did I sign up for, right? And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll you know, I'll just suck it up. It'll, it'll be okay and uh, I get in there and lo and behold it, it just was not okay was probably because of my lumpy Scottish head or something leaning on a, a, a board just <laughs> wasn't quite cutting it um, and, uh, but it was so amazing how this, this literally this prison cell okay, was an offering it was an offering it was showing me what I cling to I wanted comfort I want a comfort, right? If I'm going to be sitting on my ass all day and I'm going to be listening to you jabbering, goddammit, it, I want to have some comfort, at least in the place where I retreat to, right? I had all these great dialogues going on. <laughs> and it was about, you know, day three or day four when it was kind of like, oh, no, 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 no. This is the teaching. This is the teaching. Every day, sitting... In the uh, not only in the meditation uh, hall, but also then when we were when we were eating, we were I was entirely separate from my wife. Men on one side, women on the other. Now, in the beginning of this process, it was like these sexist bastards. How are they going to come into the twenty first century? The minute they you know they relegate women to one side and guys on the other, that's that's the paternalistic structure that I, and I just was listening to this dialogue go on and on and on. And there again, about day three, it was like, oh, that's part of the teaching. Part of the teaching was to actually keep these young, mostly single males from getting distracted. These young, mostly single females from getting distracted by the most primal of all urges. You know? And I was totally distracted by my wife, not necessarily, it wasn't sexual as much as it is, I miss her, I can feel that she's over there, I know I'm not supposed to look, I'm not supposed to make contact, but that's, you know, and at the beginning it was like, that's just wrong. And it evolved into, what an amazing teaching. It allowed me to see that stuff I wanted to skim off the top so that there could be clarity that there is purification. This meditative practice is really just that. It's about forcing us, forcing us to look at the stuff we're not terribly interested in looking at. Looking at the things that hook us. Looking where, where are we weak. What weakens us? Looking at those things. And not necessarily negating them or trying to overcome them or trying to deny them. Those are just all part of the same mind-related, egoic-related, I-related pushing away. Pushing away for the I is the same thing as grasping. They're just different forms of greed. If I'm pushing something away, I'm greedy for something other than what's presenting itself. Yeah? Can you hear that? I'll say it again if I'm pushing stuff away I'm greedy for not that. (laughs) Right? That is the same psycho-spiritual move as give me more of this to keep me insulated from feeling what is. So whenever we act out of greed or out of hatred or out of delusion meaning that we're not connected and that things could somehow maybe be permanent the minute we act out of those three things we build what we call karma our karmic body begins to kind of swell and our karmic body there's a teacher a contemporary teacher who has another name for what I've, I call the karmic body he calls it the pain body Eckhart Tolle if you've never read The Power of Now it's a marvelous book I think it's so helpful and it corresponds so much with what we're doing kind of outside of a tradition yet at the same time influenced by tradition. This karmic body lies dormant or it awakens depending on what gets tweaked or what gets hooked or what gets pushed, what button gets pushed. And our job... Our job as meditators is to create enough stillness to purify and clarify enough with enough stillness, with enough quietude, with enough relaxation that when our karmic body kind of awakens and says no to something or resists something or goes after something, when that happens, we're able to kind of take a step back. We have a little bit of distance and it allows us to participate in our life differently. When we're governed by a karmic our karmic body, or when we're governed by our ego, okay, what do we do? We just go after whatever is going to keep us from facing what is. We'll go after any kind of insulation we can get. Okay? And this is the way most people live but it's it's just not real stable. It's not. It's pretty flimsy. It means that we can be whipped around by the winds of life, pretty uh, intensely. The quietude, the stillness, and the relaxation, on the other hand, allow us to watch our karmic body or watch our pain body as it arises. We become the witness to our experience, and in being the witness to our experience, suddenly we rob whatever suffering we may be going through, we rob it of inertia does this make sense? when we're suffering, sometimes it can snowball, if you've ever experienced that it kind of goes in in waves Okay. Uh, I I for one uh, especially in relationship to intense grief if I've lost someone uh, close to me for instance I've recognized that it arises in waves for me It's like I'm having a really, really awful day, or even different times of the day. The grief might be particularly intense. And then it eases. softens. And what we notice is as we begin to study our life experience, as we begin to open to our life experience with quietude and stillness, the waves decrease in intensity. We still feel. In fact, we feel more. It just matters less. We feel more, but it matters less. So meditation really is a system. It's a shortcut. Meditation is a shortcut for purifying, okay, for clarifying, or bringing us down to essentially what matters. It allows us to offer everything up, to let everything go. And it gives us uh, stability. And if your egos are really into hearing this word, I'll use it. It gives us strength. All right, Meditation actually gives us strength to face life without trying to change it or adjust it. So, when you're driving home tonight, practice being still, being quiet, being open. At every chance you get, practice, practice, practice. Stillness, quietude openness. Everything else will take care of itself. I've been thinking all week about your image of the ping pong ball floating in the ocean. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it it makes sense to me that the universe doesn't care one way or the other which way I float. Are, Are you also saying that in some sense it doesn't matter how we live our lives and what choices we make? That's a really good question. And, um, I'll try to be as um, direct as I can without sounding like a total knucklehead. Absolutely, it matters. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Which is why when we come to this realization, kind of the, the, for those of you that weren't here last week, I talked about how, it was kind of an awkward metaphor, but it seemed to work the more I <laughs> we, we used it. The more the talk went on, the more it kind of made sense. And it's that we are as if we we are like a ping pong ball floating in the middle of the ocean that's the i sense that's the ego that's the mind and it has this has this belief that it can control what's happening but it can't and over time no matter what it's going to crack it's going to break there's a hole is going to form and the ocean will be able to fill will be able to fill the ping pong ball and at that point if it hits kind of like a neutral buoyancy, it is simultaneously ping pong ball and ocean, which is exactly what meditation does. It creates that neutral buoyancy. We become active expressions of spirit. Where spirit is no longer perceived as something outside of us. It's actually something that informs every bit of us. Okay? Well, here's the problem. The minute we get into that that space of, of, well... It's all spirit. We then have egos that love saying, great, then there can't be any rules, which is exactly why all of the traditions have their own version of commandments. Okay? Because what we do is we create this realization of spirit, which is infinity. Okay? The wisdom of infinity arises... And then it is met in the body, okay? And at that point, when it's, when it's dropped literally into the body, when the body-mind become one with the infinite, it then has a series of rules that it must follow so that it can function in the world. It can come back down the mountain and be awake in this life as opposed to just being on the mountain all the time and just saying, oh, well, if it's all spirit, then who gives a damn? Anything is an expression of spirit, Therefore, I can poison the Japanese subways, the Tokyo subway system. Time out. Wrong. You need to read the scriptures some more. All right? Therefore, I can use revelations in the Bible to justify killing, killing people. Not wrong. You can't. Or you shouldn't. So, what we do is we take the realization and then couple that realization with some some really Wonderful, in in my view, uh, markers to help us along the road because the realization is not the end, that's the beginning. That's the beginning. The minute it is seen as the end is the minute we can run into very, very serious problems. And the the ping pong ball, once it fills with water and we become oceanic in our experience or become infused with spirit, we then don't go any further. We stop evolving. And then, how useful is that? How useful is a person who just sees and rests in infinity as infinity and never comes out of the cave, never gets off their couch, never gets off their cushion? I think it's kind of a wash. And it's certainly not the direction I'd like to see this teaching go. Because I think we've got, we've got some work to do with open, loving hearts. But we do, we do have this amazing chance to be changed by the world so that we can change the world thanks for the question yeah yeah Kim um, I'm just curious is there a book that you would recommend for the Buddhist um, faith tradition that talks about the Buddhist version of the commandments yes the, instead of the instead of the uh, Ten Commandments, the Buddhist version we call them uh, the Ten Pure Precepts. Mm-hmm. And if depending on whose version you read, you get you can get up there I think as high as 300. You can get 300 mm-hmm. precepts if you want. I uh, I, th- I think it's a little overboard. I I would I could distill it into one for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd probably be better if you read the book first. Or do you want me to give you a head start? Well, what's the book? The, oh, the book is called "Being Upright" oh. by uh, Shin Reb Anderson, who was actually my teacher at out uh, uh, at a Green Gulch Farm. Um, I think he does a really nice job of kind of walking through each each of the uh, the ten precepts and so forth. Uh, I think you only need one. I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. <ready? laughs> nah, <nah, nah>, nah. <laughs> do not harm don't harm don't harm yourself don't harm anybody else don't harm anybody don't harm and the way we harm is by acting in ways that are not still are not quiet and are not open at least they're not informed by stillness. That might be a better way to say that. Mm-hmm. They're not informed by stillness. They're not informed by quietude. They're not informed by openness or relaxation. Being yeah. Upright. Being upright. Great book. Great book. Yeah. When you were, <coughs> when you were answer, answering the question earlier about uh, the ping pong ball in um, mm-hmm. um, one of the contexts I was considering was the crack in the ping-pong ball letting the ocean in is essentially the conditions you place on love realistically going away and creating the unconditional love and forgiveness that basically we yeah. should be living our life with. Yeah, it's actually... really the foundation of most of the commandments, precepts. Sort of forgiveness. Sort of yeah, I kind of... Kindness. Th- yeah, I think it kindness and forgiveness. Yeah, I, I think that forgiveness um seems it seems to me from where I sit that uh that any authentic spiritual path begins with forgiveness. Deep forgiveness without forgiveness what we forget well forgiveness is really surrender right it's letting go and so when we start looking at those individuals and those situations that we cannot forgive we just cannot forgive those are the very things that will veil awakening from our sight and it's so terribly difficult back to this context of being you know a ping pong ball in the ocean the ping pong ball wants to feel that the ocean gives a damn about its well being and it's so horrific to suddenly think that wait a minute you mean maybe there isn't a higher power that Cares for me. That cares for my ego. That cares for my mind, my eye sense. There's a miraculous leap that can occur right there, which is, you're right. It wants to get right through that boundary. It wants to crack that skin. It wants to. It. It's like the universe. Uh, I just found this out a, a few years back and I've loved using this metaphor, but like uh, uh, a chick in, in an egg actually pecks out. I heard this from a friend of mine up at Davis and he was doing some agricultural stuff. He's saying, yeah, that the chick will peck out and that um, a really good mother hen will listen for where the peck is and start pecking where its chick is pecking. That's exactly what we're doing here. I'm just, I'm doing my best to be, to to be a mother hen, right? And I'm pecking, okay? And then you start realizing, wait a minute, it's not just Michael. It's also, it's also the fight I just had with my daughter. It's also the, it's also that, that, that guy in the bank that just wouldn't, you know, whatever. It's the guy on the cell phone driving behind me that's, all of that's, those are little pecks, and what, what, when we get them to match perfectly, there's this marvelous potential of expanse, of opening. And it just takes a little bit. just takes a little bit of, of an opening to remind us, to invite us to the, uh, to the party. Yeah. And we can also get there through forgiveness. Forgiveness actually will allow us to peck at the, uh, at the shell at wherever our teacher is arising in that moment. Yeah. That's such a great, great place to be because then it's no longer, it's no longer... I mean, I, I found it very helpful to have a teacher. I think it's a total shortcut. But when I realized that he was not only just human, okay, but that he was also a mirror... And that everybody else was just like that. That's when everything really kind of started to uh, uh, explode. And that's a gift we can all give to each other. Can we actually be as conscious as possible all the time? All the time. Because when we are, when we are as conscious and as awake as we can possibly be in every single situation, we are giving the potential of an appropriate response to whatever arises. That's Buddha. That's Christ. An appropriate response. That's it. So when stillness, when quietude, and openness informs what we do, we're, give, we're, we're making an offering. The universe is giving its infinite offering through us wherever we are in whatever situation we're in and that's forgiveness that's exactly what forgiveness is and there's a very subtle difference that I want to just touch on here it's not that I forgive it's that there is forgiveness do you understand the difference one is given by an ego the other one is the universe the universe forgives the universe is in a constant state of effulgent forgiveness always always see ya